0: Hello and welcome to the Saturday nonstop South Podcast. He is Chris Marlar. I am Connor. Marlar,
1: we had FBS football
0: this past weekend.
1: I gotta ask, I don't know who Chris do. Connor, as we were just talking about off air, there, if there's any advice I could give to you guys, okay? Always have a horse guy. Just always have a horse guy. I am very fortunate enough to be blessed not only with an adorable dog amazing fiance a great podcast co-host but also a horse guy and the the, the horse guy I mean no offense you were last in that list that's fair but only yeah. because of what the horse guy pulled off this weekend um, and giving me a bona fide winner with authentic uh, at plus 850 is a fantastic weekend but if there's any other advice I can give you? you don't always have to have if you don't have a horse guy you know what you could do is have, have a horse girl that's, no, you never want that. You absolutely never want a horse girl. And I, I cannot say that emphatically enough. No offense to your mother-in-law. She seems great. I'm just saying. Um, however, if you don't have a horse guy or you do and you want to know, what do I do with this information? Head on over to our good friends at mybookie.com. Uh, it is the start of NFL, the NFL season. As you said, there's there's going to be NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball is coming in the home stretch. All sorts of stuff to be betting on. Uh, and you want to do so with my bookie. They are offering customers the chance to grab a, listen to this, Connor, a 54, a plus 54 spread on the favored Kansas City Chiefs against the Houston Texans next week. What? Plus 54? I don't feel like the Texans are going to cover that. I'll just, I'll just say it. The max bet on the promotion is $50, but the offer is essentially the lock of a lifetime and thus free money for customers everywhere if they bet on the game. Okay, go over to my bookie, use the promo code SDS, they will double your initial deposit. It is fantastic. Make sure you I mean I'm I'm gonna bet on that, obviously. Plus fifty-four. I
0: thought that That's was free the money. Season. It's,
1: free it's free money. It's free money. And you know, out of all the things I love besides Ryan Cabrera songs and Nellie and Tim McGraw uh, duets, free money is probably top three on that list. So go to my bookie today, win yourself some free money, and m- make sure you use the promo code SDS.
0: We have a lot of nitty-gritty actual SEC football talk today. For those who have been waiting for some preview-type stuff, Today is the episode for you. I promise you. We got into a lot of that with our good friend Cole Kublick who has been on the sidelines for actual college football games so far and talking about Say some what? of the restrictions and and all that that he's been dealing with and obviously Cole always has such great insights into what to expect for the SEC season ahead. So it's great to be able to get into all of that with him. We have Crystal Ball Day. Today we're looking at the West in the SEC. We're going to do the East later in the week, but the plan today is to do the West. And I got a feeling, we're going to hurt some feelings today. We're going to hurt some feelings. It's (laughs) going to happen. Okay. I I hate to say, you know what? Going through this, and I have finished, uh, at this point, I've done, I think, nine. Nine of the 14 full SEC crystal balls, meaning I have gone through at least nine teams in the SEC and picked every single game, provided an explanation as to... Who is going to win? It's it's consumed my the last week of my life, but that's yeah. okay. That's what we do in the preseason. And I would take doing that all day over anything else because that means yeah. we're actually going to have football. So what I have found in my brief time doing this is, man, there are a lot of records that teams are just going to be, fan bases more specifically, are just going to be flat out upset with. And there's not really anything that can be done in a 10-game conference-only schedule. Yeah. But just... Just be ready for that now. You know what you should do if you're a fan is just go look at some of the over-unders right now. And that's gonna make you feel better because it's not gonna make you feel like your team is in the crapper because your final record might suggest that, but your team is gonna be fine, I think.
1: Real quick, speaking of crapper, can we talk about OBJ? No? Can we not? Can we not? (laughs) So gross. Of all all the things to be trending for. I got so nervous account. because I, I drafted him last night in my fantasy football draft, and I was like, oh, no. And we know my my record and, and my history with, you know, just last week, tight ends at, at A&M. And what happens when I speak highly of them? I was very worried. I I, I guess I'm glad it wasn't an injury. I don't know. Mm, Moving on. I
0: don't know. I still think that's a crappy call on your part.
1: There it is. Yeah, Look at you yeah, yeah, puns. Yeah,
0: yeah. Had that one in the holster. All the poop jokes, please. All right,
1: oh <laughs> let's go through
0: the order of finish that that each of us have. And last year, if you recall, when we did our crystal balls, it was shockingly similar. Shockingly. To the point yeah. where we got a lot of heat on social media for being like, would you guys sit down and do this together? What if we did?
1: We run a podcast together, you idiots. Yeah, we talk Sorry, about these I didn't things. call you guys idiots.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, you guys are really smart. You guys are totally smart. True. I'll start off here Um so, I've got Arkansas finishing in seventh at okay. one, one and nine. I'll explain the one in a minute. I've got Ole Miss at sixth, finishing four and six. Mississippi State, technically finishing with the same record, but getting the fifth place nod because they would have the Ole Miss win at four and six. I've got AM finishing fourth at six and four. I've got Auburn also finishing at six and four, but third because of a victory against Texas AM. Second place, I have LSU coming in at seven and three, and then Alabama, first place in the West at nine and one. Marley, that's, that was your cue to fire away. I was, I was waiting for you.
1: I I'm just I want you to get all of your bad takes out of the way first before I come over the top. Okay. Uh, hey,
0: I realize that there, there are people that are going to look at that and they're going to be like, "What are you talking about? Second you are place really, really dumb. Second place in the toughest division in college football, having three regular season losses? Are you out of your mind? Look, here's what I keep coming back to. This is going to be a year of unpredictable sort of random upsets in which, as we saw over the weekend with Navy and BYU, if you can take advantage of a team that's dealing with some some stuff in quarantine because of guys in quarantine, you're yeah. going to be much better for it. Like what we saw from from a Navy team that admittedly had not been tackling real guys. Like that's the type of stuff that would hurt you. Maybe you're going to have, a, maybe you're going to have a situation like Tennessee, where I'm not saying Tennessee would have been playing a football game this past weekend with 44 players in quarantine because right. of contact tracing, but you're going to run into depth issues galore, and there are going to be a lot of upsets. So before we get to some of these upsets and why I think there's going to be some parity within the division. Why don't you first reveal kind of where where you're leaning in terms of order of finish?
1: I got Mississippi State last.
0: Ooh, that's interesting.
1: Yes. I have Arkansas um, finishing sixth. Okay. I I am I am the more I look at this, I am really starting to talk myself into Arkansas and South Carolina oh boy. being a lot better. <laughs> being a oh lot better boy. than people are initially thinking. I'm just gonna I'm gonna throw that out there now. So that's who I have at, um, at six. At five, uh, I don't even necessarily like this as much, but I'm going to put Ole Miss five. Okay. All right. Um, at four, I'm going to put LSU. Wow. Three, I have Auburn. Two, I have Texas A&M. And one, I have Alabama. I know it's going to shock a lot of people, that, that last one. That is, that's what I have.
0: That is stunning. To be to to be that low on on those uh, uh, to be that low on LSU when like if if you went from a national champion to finishing fourth in your own division in a year,
1: but if they finish fourth in their own division, that still means seven and three or six and four. That's not bad. True. Like I true. mean, in in the SEC West, I get what you're saying, but the SEC West, it's like. You know, how many times have we seen all seven teams go to a bowl game? How many times have we seen all of them finish above 500 or like, you know, at, at at 500 or better? I I don't. I'm I'm definitely low on on LSU because of all the things we've talked about on all the other episodes of this podcast. That being said, I mean, I could you could interchange them maybe with with Auburn. Um, you know what? You know, fine. You know what? We'll switch them with Albert. They'll finish three, and Auburn will finish four. I, but I, I do feel like that's going to be like almost like a tie.
0: Okay, interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, so, do we want to go through the the one there? The who does Arkansas beat? Because I, I, I've like I've had to do like the, you know the records and all that stuff as yeah. well. and... And all that, like last year, I remember talking about it, you're like, I did some of the records and I realized they didn't add up exactly at the way yeah. that I was expecting to. It's one of those things that until you actually do it, it's easy to just kind of throw out a record for a team, but until you break down every single game, you're not really going to have the true feel on that. So for for Arkansas, 1-9, a team that, as we as we have talked about throughout this offseason, look, it's just not necessarily there at the line of scrimmage. That's gonna be the biggest thing that's gonna hold Arkansas yeah. back in a lot of these matches. Because I think in this from the skill player standpoint, they have a lot of things that I like. I actually like their secondary. Think that they have a potential all SEC guy at linebacker, bumper pool, who's really gonna thrive in Barry Odom's defense. Mm-hmm. But week two against Mississippi yep. State is the upset that I have for Arkansas. Now you might be thinking to yourself, listen. This was a lopsided affair last year. Mississippi State ran all over Arkansas. Well, you know what? Mississippi State's not going to try and do this year. Run all over Arkansas because that's not what Mike Leach does. And for those who are still trying to come around to like, hey, how much different can this offense possibly be? It's the passing era. They throw the ball a lot. No, no, no. Like Mississippi State's going to throw the ball 50 times a game. Get ready for that. It
1: is. Like one stat I think I I saw in like Phil Steele – like his uh his magazine was under Moorhead they averaged running the ball sixty three percent of their plays on offense. Mike Leach threw the ball seventy seven percent of plays last season. Like it's not, it's not gonna be a small change. It's gonna be a, a massive overhaul. It, it's gonna be a,
0: a significant overhaul. So I, I think that, that 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 in itself makes me wonder, okay, what's what's the best possible way to beat Arkansas in a year like this? It's it's bullying them teams. up front. <laughs> nah, special teams, yeah, that's probably that's probably part of it. But it's bullying them up front. It's being able to say, "Look, we don't think that your defensive line can stop our ground game," and that's not what MSU is going to try and do. And I tend to think that Barry Odom, with this much time to prepare, and I'm not saying that he's looking past Georgia in the opener because, like, that's I. But if you're yeah. looking at like what's a more winnable game. I think preparing for that air raid offense is something that they're spending time on. And I don't know that for certain, but I Mm -hmm. tend to think that with this much time in the offseason where coaches are having more time to look at film, I think that that's something that Barry Odom has been doing. i got to believe that it's something he's been doing. And I have questions about that MSU defense as well, with Zachary yeah. and what it's going to look like with so much turnover on that side of the ball, a group that has had seven players drafted in the last two years, do not discount that. They have lost yeah. so much talent to the NFL. And I wonder what that defense is going to look like even in week two, when I think that Arkansas is gonna to wanna to play a little bit of this keep away. I think Rakeem Boyd is gonna have a big, big day. And if mm-hmm. they can just keep the ball on the ground and keep those potential Felipe Franks mistakes you know, if they can potentially limit those those opportunities, then I think Arkansas is going to have a, an absolute chance to win that game in Week 2, and that would be their lone, their lone victory of the SEC slate.
1: I think Arkansas can win three games. Really? really? I, I think Arkansas can win three games. I, I think Arkansas can beat Mississippi State, and they will. I think they can beat Ole Miss. Interesting. That's and very I also interesting. know they're going to beat Mizzou. So very interesting. So, I, I think... They are going to get off the schneid of, of you know, being winless against the SEC in however many years in a row. I think that definitely happens this year. And, and I think, personally, that they could win – I mean, they could possibly win three games. And, and I tell you what, another one that would scare me if I was this, this – like these other two teams, A&M and Tennessee. And here's okay. why. Tennessee is, is, a, is a better football team by all means than Arkansas. However, and, and I think the talent gap is, is different. I think the coaching is, is, is different. Um, you know, Pittman's going to be in his first year. But when you look at it from a coordinator standpoint, and I know we, a lot of people are really high on Jim Chaney and all that good stuff. When you have Barry Odom and you have Kendall Bryles as your coordinators, mm-hmm. and then when you look at this Arkansas offense, and, and Arkansas returns – Arkansas returns 14 starters, and that's that's great. I know you're not as high on, like, just the overall number of starters returning, but when you return eight of them on offense and four of five on the offensive line and then f- all four of your skill positions, so you're running back and all three receivers and you have Felipe Franks, that's that's an automatic improvement at quarterback. I think this is a team that, like a and I know that sounds crazy. I absolutely know that sounds crazy, but A&M has lost six of the last seven games in the regular season coming off a bye week six mm. of their last seven and a m is a very good football team and, and all that however I, I just think that there's there are spots on this schedule for potential upsets and, mm-hmm. and i think arkansas is going to find themselves one
0: i want to dig into more of the upsets and all of that stuff but we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get to the rest of the division so hold on real quick if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't given us a 5-star review, first of all, what do we ever do to you? I thought we were friends. You should definitely head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast, give us a nice little 5-star little review because we obviously appreciate those. We love being able to provide all sorts of insight and analysis, takes, predictions, and everything in between about college football and specifically in the SEC. Let's be honest, you're gearing up for the season ahead. Maybe this this entire pandemic has made you think, ah, you know, I'm not going to brace for a season. And now you're getting caught up at the last minute. You're listening to podcasts. You're reading stuff like SaturdayDownSouth.com. Might be a nice thing to do to just leave your favorite podcast host a little five-star review, you know, just, just a thought. So after you do that, go listen to the rest of this podcast. So the variance for Arkansas is... One to three wins. Let's let's keep in mind that this is a, a program that has not won an SEC game since 2017. Let's keep in mind this is a program that has won SEC win in the last three years. If they win three games, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Sam Pittman's SEC Coach of the Year, and you can't convince me otherwise. Oh, without a
1: doubt, yeah. Without a doubt.
0: No doubt about that. So let's get into some of the other teams here, because I think that if you are looking at... The, the upsets, the potential upsets. And every game that Arkansas wins this year is probably going to be considered an upset. Right. The Arkansas-Mississippi State one is is one that I have. I also have already outlined how I think that Georgia is going to be the one team to, to trip up Alabama in the regular season. So we'll count that as an upset as well. The four other upsets that I have involving West teams, big upsets, relatively big upsets. not talking like a point here or there or anything like that. I've got Kentucky beating Auburn. week one one. on the road just uh, sorry i I just think that that the way that kentucky is built up front especially for those who are sick and tired of hearing about it you're going to take notice against auburn yeah and you're going to see a team that is very very proven up front and is capable of running a really good ground game even with terry wilson at quarterback as opposed to lynn bowden now I, i think that that's that's a very interesting matchup just because Kevin Steele having that much time to prepare would scare me a little bit on that upset, but I, I was stunned to see that Kentucky was an 11-point dog in that opening line. I could not yeah. believe that. That didn't make any sense to me.
1: It moved a lot, though. Yeah,
0: and it could move a lot if we find out more about potential quarantines or anything like that. What's that what was that line the last that you saw?
1: Uh, seven and a half.
0: Okay, that's a lot of movement. That's a lot yeah. of movement as there should be as there should be i, I mean think it was way too that.
1: way too high yeah
0: way too high um another upset i've got a&m beating florida week three so that's a whole is for that A&M. an upset okay yeah uh, it, it would be considered an upset probably for the simple fact that AM, as i have always said struggled so much last year against the league competition so so much but I wonder about a Florida team that gets off to a 2-0 start, which I think they will, Ole Miss and South Carolina, and what they would have to do to raise their level of play against that a and defense in week three. Where we're talking about a Florida offensive line that now has four seniors on it, by the way. Four seniors with legit yeah. starting experience. But as is often the case in Florida, you start feeling yourself a little bit you get a little bit too high on yourself. And maybe that Florida offensive line has a, has some more growing pains early on than what they expect. And they go into week three against what should be a very good Texas A&M defensive line coached by Mike Elko, thinking that they're just going to be able to, to walk into College Station and control the tempo. And I don't think that happens. And I think that... Ultimately, Florida struggles a little bit more than they expect against an AM team that has already had to elevate their level of play because they will have already had the Alabama game the week before that. And I think that it ends up being a good opportunity for AM to pick up a, a, a quality win, which those have kind of been few and far between in the Jimbo Fisher era so far.
1: Yeah, no, I like that pick, uh, especially at home. They, they have not been great against the SEC at home um, before, I mean, well, I guess last year. It's still lost to Auburn, still lost to Bama. I'm trying to think of who else is even on that schedule at home. Um, I, I believe – actually, I should have, I'll, I'll look this up later and make sure I have the stat right, but I, their record against SEC teams at home, like elite SEC teams especially, not great. Not great at all. Um, I think that's a good pick. Would it even be an upset for them to beat Auburn at the end of the season?
0: I don't know how that would be viewed. In terms of like preseason forecasting, I don't think that's a crazy thought because we have questions about this Auburn defense. That was something right. that we talked to Cole about. We still need to see how this Chad Morris offense is going to work. If this offensive line that has four new starters is going to gel, if bonix can take that next step. There are a lot more questions about Auburn. Than A&M, in my opinion, at this point. And that's that's for someone who's been pretty low on AM and some of the preseason hype because of the schedule. But I think that's perfectly fair at this point to predict to predict something like that. And I think that home and road, I mean in a year like this, it's gonna matter less than ever, just right. because you're having reduced crowds. What's Starkville going to sound like with limited cowbells? What's Jordan yeah. Hare going to sound like when you don't have an entire packed house ready to go for a big-time rivalry game? I don't know. I mean, it'll be like the fourth quarter in an Alabama game is, is what this is going to feel like <laughs> for a decent a decent portion sure. of the season. So. I think that that's something to, to keep in mind as we talk about these, these games and unusual lopsided spreads might not be as lopsided because, you know, it, it might feel a little bit more like a neutral site game, at least at times.
1: Right. Um, so one of my upsets, I think South Carolina beating Auburn. Mm, okay. Auburn will be coming off their first three games, which is Kentucky, Georgia, and Arkansas. Um, Carolina will be coming off of Vanderbilt, but like when you look at the front half of that schedule with Tennessee, Florida, Vandy, Auburn, LSU, that's kind of as close as a must-win game as you can get um, for Will Muschamp early in the season. They get him at home. That's a. I don't think South Carolina's ever beaten Auburn. I think they are zero and six all time against Auburn.
0: But it's always, it always seems relatively close.
1: It's always seems relatively close. But I think. That is a spot where when you look at Auburn's schedule, I, I I don't think Auburn beats AM going to the end of the year. Like I, I really look toward like the to the end of the year this year, and I almost said Ole Miss and, and uh Ole Miss, like uh, beating LSU because mm. I think that's a little bit far-fetched. Mm. But when I'm when you like look at the end of the season, for some of these teams that that really don't have a lot or anything to play for, we don't know how they, the season's going to shape up, we don't know how the bowl season's gonna shape up. And how much some teams are just going to want to get to the end of the year? Um, I'm not picking Ole Miss over over LSU. By the way, that makes one of us. A spot like South Carolina over Auburn makes a lot of sense, especially early in the season like that. This guy is picking picking Ole Miss. Oh my god! (laughs) To beat LSU, and I'm going to explain this. I'm going to explain this
0: because I'm not. I'm not like all in on year one of Lane Kiffin era. I have. Said that I think Ole Miss is going to have the worst defense in the SEC. I do. I truly do. I question those hires. I want. It's not. It's not just the DJ Durkin thing. It's Chris Partridge who was coaching high school football six years ago. There's fair. this belief that, in my opinion, that for LSU this year, so much of this is going to come down to that Alabama game. Correct. Yeah. I mean, fair or not, we're talking about. The regular season finale, which is important to remember in a year like this, a year which we've already seen guys opting out, a year yep. in which eligibility does not count, could there potentially be a rash of LSU players who aren't playing if the division is already decided and if they don't have playoff aspirations? I wonder about that. I wonder about an Ole Miss offense that that late in the year, where they're finally figuring out their identity, if Lane just decides, you know what, I'm going to throw everything out there. I'm going to empty the entire bag of tricks. LSU potentially coming off of yeah. a game against a a game which, by the way, I think LSU is going to beat AM. and And I think that an emotional game like that, a game in which they usually end the season with that, mm-hmm. and if LSU doesn't necessarily have a national championship to play for or anything like that, that's a potential upset spot for sure. And I think that defending that team, Ole Miss, for 60 minutes is not going to be ideal, no matter who starts a quarterback for them. I do yeah. wonder about how that's going to look and the variety of looks that Lane is going to provide with two young, capable backs and Jerry Neely and Snoop Connor. And I think that this offense is going to be more difficult to defend than maybe I'm even giving it credit for at this point. So yeah, that's yeah. one of those random upsets that, I, that I'm, I'm penciling in right now saying it would not surprise me at all to see Ole Miss beat a team like LSU when we're questioning what they're playing for.
1: Well, and there's also the the case we made for the fact that we we talk about this all the time going into a season and two big two big stats that always seem to because there's there's no telling what's really going to happen you know from the preseason to the actual season and and nobody's ever perfect in these predictions or anything like that but there's two stats I feel like that people do kind of hone in on that really do seem to continuously come up and and help with with being somewhat correct and that is. Turnover margin, things mm-hmm. that things that are close and swung one way in your favor the year before, and might not necessarily do that again. So like close close wins, we saw it a couple years ago with with South Carolina when they had, I believe it was seven, or six games or something like that. They won by so seven many. points or less, something like that. 2017. Um, and then yeah. we, yeah, and then we saw how that that uh, changed obviously over the the year following and the year after that. Um, this season, you look at team like A and M. A and M was last in the SEC in turnover margin. Minus six, last. Mm-hmm. Also returning four or five offensive line. That's one of the reasons I'm high on them. When you look at Ole Miss, and I think this is why some people are are high on them. I know Mike, uh, our coworker, came on last week and said he didn't think they're going to win a single game. I, th- I thought that was a little bit outlandish. Um, when you look at this Ole Miss team, they had five losses by eight points or less last year. Five.
0: They won. Their S- the- they lost SEC games by an average of four point five points last year.
1: That's that's insane. And, and I'm not trying to say this as like a homer, but you factor in the losses to LSU, factor in the losses to Alabama, and then still have that average? That's crazy. I mean, that's 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 insane. So then the other part of that is they're the only FBS team from last season that went 0-5 in those games. They, they lost four by seven points or less, mm. so a touchdown or less, and then five by by eight points or less. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of easy room for improvement from this Ole Miss team, and, and I don't know if it's going to be somewhere – you know, with, with John Rice Pumley or anything like that. But I, I do know that Jerry Neely is going to be able to carry the load at, at, at the running back position. And I, I know you mentioned Snoop Connor as well, but I, I really feel like Ely is going to be a difference maker this year for this team. Um, <sighs> Ole Miss, I don't know if they can beat LSU. I, I don't know if they can do that. But I beating a team like Auburn at home, um, maybe jumping up and getting a team, like I, they're going to beat Mississippi State. Beating a team like mm. South Carolina would that be like I, I could see Ole Miss going on the road and giving Kentucky fits in week two, especially if Kentucky is coming off a big win against Auburn.
0: I have Ole Miss also beaten A and M, which this yeah, is going to sound like I'm super high on Ole Miss, and I, I have them starting off two and six and then winning those two games down the stretch, so or two of the last three games I think it is because there's the Egg the, the uh... Bowl. So, no, I did not say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, no, but I, I like that pick though. I. I come back to this there are going to be moments in which you're going to see a team coming off of a very physical game and depth is an issue and i think that could be the case for an a m team that's going to be coming off a game against tennessee and a game against south carolina two teams that i think actually stack up well with them in the trenches perhaps maybe a m in contention because at this point of the year i actually have a am getting off to a six and one start and I actually have AM getting to a top four ranking, which they have not Whoa. done in 25 years. The last time they did that, they were in the Southwest Conference. They weren't even in the Big 12 yet. That's how long ago it was. They were
1: not ranked in the top five or top four in the Manziel year? They weren't. They finished number five. They didn't do it in 98? Would that win? Wow. In the AP poll,
0: that's what we're talking about, not college football okay. playoff poll. Because I realized they started off number four in the college football playoff poll like in 2016, whenever that was, with Trevor yeah. Knight. Um but here's what I come back to. This is a game in which AM easily could be looking ahead, and I think that defending Ole Miss for 60 minutes as the yeah. season progresses is going to prove more and more difficult. A team that has has really, really experienced offensive linemen as well, and if they can ever figure out some semblance of a passing game, they have the weapons. They have the yeah. weapons. They do. Because, I mean, I think that that having someone like Eli Moore is, is very important for that group as a true number one receiver. I know it didn't end well for him last year, but I think he's going to have a really big year in Lane Kiffin's offense as well. So I think Ole Miss gets off to a really slow start. I think they still lose the Egg Bowl, but I think they have two of the more random upsets of the 2020 yeah, season.
1: I could see that. I, I tell you the other part of that too is um, A&M coming off back-to-back road games against Carolina Tennessee, mm-hmm. and Tennessee in games that they could really, you know, be given all they could handle for for a a while especially in that South Carolina game um yeah I don't know I don't know I I, I tell you what just looking at the week of of November 28th I wonder how much chaos we're going to see on a week like that when it's like second to last week of the season it's November it's the end of November so it's Thanksgiving week are people going to be like are they still going to be on campus are they going to be allowed to go home are they are they going to be is there going to be some weird thing that happens if people do travel and go see their family and then they come back and, and end up catching COVID? And all those things, I feel like that weekend in particular, like right at the end of the season, I, I just, I just feel like we don't know what the, what the actual, it's the best way to put it, um, benchmark is going to be to make a bowl game, right? Like it doesn't mean you just have to be above five hundred this year. So, I wonder how many teams are, are really just going to be over it at that point.
0: I do like, too. I, I really do. It, I hate to it, it sound like
1: that, but. I do too. And
0: it, I think that we need to remember that this year is going to suck at points. There are going to be moments yeah. where you're like, man, like, I've got my team's got several starters that, that, are, that are not even playing and they, they're opting out, or maybe they're in quarantine, right. or, or whatever the case. There are going to be moments when playing college football is not as fun as it usually is. Let's no. just let's call it what it is. And you're right. I, I think a, a week like that, if the SEC is decided, if the if the divisions are decided that weekend, which I very well think they could be, especially in the West, that's what I come mm-hmm. back to. I still think that the West is going to be clinched in the Iron Bowl, which is the same okay. as what it's been because if theoretically, uh, Ole Miss and LSU were playing um, that la- they they would play the last week of the year. But if Auburn and Alabama are playing the second to the last week of the regular season. Mm-hmm. And Alabama's already got that the advantage against LSU. That's when it would theoretically be be decided, but it's strange because I think all of the same usual headliner games, at least as of right now, are going to determine who wins the West, right? It's still going to be LSU-Bama. It's still going to be you don't so you don't think that's going to make as if, much of an impact. If
1: if LSU beats Bama, sure. I just I feel like this year of all the years, I don't know why we're making like Death Valley is an incredible place and, and I totally understand that that it is a tough place to play for most teams. Alabama has lost five games there since nineteen fifty seven. They are also gonna be coming in with a chip on their shoulder after last year. I, I don't think that that game's close. I, I don't think it's even close. Hmm. I think I think Bama wins that game by three or four touchdowns. Interesting. Like I mean, like that will be like they will have an extra chip on their shoulder also at home against auburn but you're gonna see like a vintage saving team that's gonna come out there and absolutely punch that team in the mouth over and over and over again and so i don't i don't think that one no i i think bama a and um i mean obviously bama george is a big one bama a&m maybe bama auburn um i think games like that are going to. Going to be Bama Tennessee are going to be a much bigger factor.
0: Here's, uh, uh, well, here's why I say that it, that I think it'll be a big bigger factor because with these current projections that I have, where I have LSU at seven and three, Bama at nine and one, right? So I have Bama beating LSU. If you flip that result, LSU then is eight mm-hmm. and two, Bama is also eight and two. LSU has the tiebreaker against mm-hmm. Bama, so that's why I would say like a game like that would be considered pivotal because, like I said, I've got Georgia beating Alabama. I still have Alabama winning, winning the division. And that, to me, we're going to have a couple of these moments, maybe early in the year, like I have Florida losing to a and but it's a crossover. So crossovers yeah. are considered a little bit different than some of those pivotal big time games obviously and now that we have more crossovers we're going to have to keep that in mind as we talk about some of these matchups and whether or not it's going to block a certain team's path to to winning the to winning the division yeah. because there could be some of those early season upsets that maybe we overreact to and we always overreact mm-hmm. to 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 losses from contenders early on but I do think this is the type of year in which Bama could lose a game in the first month of the year then win out and still be set up to do all the things that it envisioned yeah. it could in the preseason.
1: Well, and, or they could lose two games early on and and then not be, you know, in contention, whatever. But I, I just think that that game is still, I mean, like it, listen, I, I love LSU fans. I, I love coach. O. I I I love how great that last season was. It was so much fun to, to follow along with it and be a part of it a little bit and go to those games. But there are four games on the schedule that I would look at and say those teams have a better chance of beating Bama than, than LSU. And not because of a talent standpoint or because of like, but because of the timing of when they get them and, and like the, the matchup or like will Bama overlook them? Will, will it be whatever? Like, like Tennessee, Georgia, Auburn, um, AM. Like, I mean, I think all of those teams have a better chance of beating Bama because last year, you let that team come into your building and for the first time in nine years beat you. You heard about it all off season, and then you heard their coach in your locker room inside of Bryant Denny screaming, Roll Tide, what F you? If you think that Saban is not going to have that in every single preseason workout, locker room, like whatever during game week especially, they're they're going to destroy LSU this year. And, but there, And there are – it may be to a point where they don't have – they might not even be in contention at that point to, to win the SEC or a national championship, but that I mean, game. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think they I, still will be in I, contention I, I think, at that point. But I'm just saying, that there's a possibilities.
0: I think Bama wins that game as well. I think we both correct me if I'm wrong. We both agree that Bama is going to have
1: a regular season loss. Yeah. Who do you think that comes to? Probably. I mean, Georgia seems like the most likely candidate. Um, just the way Kirby's. Build team. That defense, man. I just—I know you guys are tired of hearing me say it, but that defense is going to be ridiculous. The one thing that gives me confidence about that is when we had Mike Griffith on here last week. Just the human encyclopedia knows literally everything in the world. Like, a dude's a genius. If you were um, a Georgia
0: walk-on, he knows if you had a busted fingernail.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Um, but he, him talking about how you get three weeks prior to the Bama game, and you get two in a row with, with. Uh, Auburn and Tennessee and former Saban assistants and and like, kind of seeing how they scheme up against against mm. this team, um, I think that'll help Bama in, in the long run. But I mean, ten games just it, there's no way. I mean, they, like, when's the last time they fin- 2016 they went undefeated, 20 not 2013 so 2009. I mean, it's, it's been twice in the past 12 years. I, there's no part of me thinks they're going to go unscathed. Um, I mean, a And And M seems kind of scary and and Georgia, especially in that road game against Tennessee. I, I, I mean, if it's if it's between those three, God, I pray it's AM. But I mean, yeah, like I, there's no part of me thinks they're going to get through. If they get through this season, at if any team in the SEC gets through the, the regular season at 10-0, if any team, they should just be crown champions right then and move on to the playoff and honestly get a first-round bye because that's ridiculous.
0: There's a scenario that I want to – I'm teasing a little bit by by saying this, but I'll get a little bit more in depth with it when we talk about the East and how this could potentially play out and the, the crap storm that it could create for the anti-SEC crowd because it would just be the perfect
1: storm. For okay, that. real quick, let me because I got asked this question twice on radio this week and I didn't even know how to respond because I, I didn't it hasn't even crossed my mind. Is there a chance that Bama and Georgia could play three times?
0: It's 2020, I'm not saying no to anything, but... Except for getting pooped on. Except for getting pooped on, yes. Definitely need to clarify that. I don't think so. Just because I still come back to the belief that if the playoff selection committee has already seen a matchup just happen, it's the same thing that we talked about in 2018, of why Georgia would not necessarily get a rematch if it played Alabama in the SEC Championship, and then lost, and then got to face him again in the playoff like nothing had happened. I think subconsciously, whether that's 100% fair or not, I think that would be taken into account just from wanting to see this another matchup if you already saw this sort of play out with everything on the line. Mm -hmm. So I would tend to say no, but I don't know. I mean, playoff scenarios are going to be so weird to break down because I truly think that throughout the entire season we're going to be talking about Whatever projection that we're talking about, we're talking about two SEC teams in there. And we're going to be talking about teams with a loss in there. There could be teams with multiple losses that going into conference championship weekend, we're like, yeah, we feel pretty good about that team making the playoff. I think it's just going to be one of those years.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, and, you know, honestly, what we cannot forget more than anything is every single year we do this and every single year the media is wrong. So...
0: We did okay last year. We did okay. I mean, we didn't see yeah. LSU having the best season in college football history. Sorry. <laughs> I don't
1: think we, anybody did. Yeah. You know, we,
0: we didn't quite get there. But at the same time, I went back and I looked at our, at our crystal balls from last year. And all things considered, not bad. Not bad. It wasn't that crazy of a year in terms of, like, preseason expectations relative to final Versus, results. Yeah. But at the same time, like, these things are, are a crapshoot this year they really really are because we're assuming that all these teams are going to be as close to healthy as as possible at least based on the information that we know and we make these predictions now we we, by the time we make our week one picks we could be talking about some of these games differently for all we know we're going to find out that oh two of kentucky's three best offensive linemen are out due to covid reasons and they're not going to be at full strength up front going to the auburn game would that impact my decision yeah absolutely
1: I, the, the trick is, at least for me, and this is just peel behind the end and, and, and brutally honest. The trick is to not fall into the trap that I that I have definitely fallen into before, where you find something like a little nugget that piques your interest, and then I you do start like unwrapping it, and then you're what's that?
0: I do this all the time. I know exactly. Yeah, and what then you're like,
1: then, then you base everything <laughs> off that. And you're like, oh my god. Oh my God, Vandy is winning the SEC this year. <laughs> it is written in the stars. Like, let's just go right right like, just write it down immediately. Um, you know, and, and like, I think one of those things for me that I'm always big on is is returning starters, just because I think from an experience standpoint. Um, and and I, I've learned that the hard way. That's not always the best way to go about it. But I tell you what, in a year like this, and we've 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 said this repeatedly, we've heard it from people that are smarter than me at least repeatedly, and and that is. In a year like this, when there's so much uncertainty, that amount of veteran leadership—like again, I like—I know people are trying to hear about A&M, but you go back to a team like A&M, and in their bowl game, they started one senior starter. Okay, and, and like at this point, with the way, college, the way college football is, having a bunch of seniors—it's not like high school football. It's like that's not going to like necessarily make or break your season or make you right. that much better. Because if you're a senior and you're starting, part of that is probably because you weren't good enough to be drafted as a junior, and that's not, you know. A, a knock on on you or whatever but like th- there is that to like be taken into account that being said a and gonna have 12 senior starters a and gonna have 17 returning starters eight on the offense like I mean I-, I just think that 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 team is I mean and I'm really big where it matters up front and in the trenches because that's where games are won and lost in the SEC and when you return four or five that's that's why I think Arkansas is gonna be a lot better than people think you know it, when you return four or five on the offensive line and the most veteran quarterback in the SEC. Like, hate him or not, like with, with Kellen Mon or, or hate him or love him, but, like, when you're averaging 3,500 yards and 30 touchdowns over the past two seasons as a full-time starter, that's, I mean, I, I feel like in year three, sh- he's going to turn the corner.
0: The thing about Kellen Mond, and we've talked about this ad nauseum. the, if you want, well, you can build whatever narrative you want about Kellen Mond. Yeah. One thing that Choose I, your own
1: adventure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> One thing that I'm coming back to with him, and I wonder how this plays, and how this plays for for new quarterbacks in the league as well, with these reduced capacity stadiums. Kalamon is three and six in true SEC road games. Yeah, this is someone who has struggled immensely on the road, struggled a lot against that elite competition. How is that going to impact him when he does have these these road games that would usually be right. in front of 100,000 people that are instead going to be in front of 20 25,000 people? How is that going to impact someone like him who has seemed really, really dependent on that and dependent on his surroundings being absolutely right in order to, su- to succeed? And, you know, if that does allow AM to get off to this great start, we're going to hear all the Jimbo hype because, like I said, I think they start 6-1, and one. and that's a lot of the pre-2020 schedule change narrative. Shout out to SEC Shorts, by the way. That was really good. If you haven't watched your buddy Josh D, go watch it. It's really good. But that's, that's the year that I think a could potentially have, and this is going to be a season in which I think maybe at least three teams from the division are in the top four at one point. And I think that includes LSU. I think that includes LSU okay. up until that Florida game. That's, that's fair. Did, I, did, we, did you share – do you have any, any early thoughts on that, by the way? LSU-Florida? On what? LSU-Florida. LSU, Florida, I, I,
1: I think LSU if, – if there's a game that I would be overly confident in for LSU this year, it's that game. Mm. I, I mean, Florida – Florida be coming off a road trip against a and a game against South Carolina at home, Ole Miss in the, the opener. I just don't – like, I, I tell you what, Dan Mullen with expectations worries me. And and I know that sounds weird because because we have been kind of beating the drum for him being underrated, and, and and I will continue to say that not enough was made about him going 21 and five his first two seasons. Well, the bad news about that is not enough was made about him going 21 and five in the first two seasons. But when you get to year three, and we find out, like I, I feel like we we know more and more who Dan Mullen is. Is he a good recruiter? Nope, nope, he's not. We we thought going to a, a bigger program was going to change that. It's it's not necessarily doing that. Is he good at maximizing the the potential and, and the production out of his players that, that might not have been the most highly sought after players? Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. But where I think Mullen's going to struggle is when you see these games against teams that like are, are as well coached up and are equal to or more talented than you, that's where Dan Mullen struggles. We, we, he never outcoached a, a an elite Bama team. Um, he's never beaten Kirby Smart. He's I, I know he that win against Auburn last season in the swamp was huge. And, and what he did with Kyle Trask was was incredible, right? But I think there's a big difference between like applauding, hey man, like he's great. Do you see what he did with this backup quarterback? And then all these injuries, and Janiga was out, and the defense was never right. All all those things. It's a lot different when there aren't excuses built in, when you do have all of those players from from day one. And I'm not saying they're all going to finish the season like that, but, like, the expectations are at an all-time high for Florida. And the schedule, out of anyone in this conference, the schedule is probably, like, I don't want to say the easiest, but, like, the most favorable for a team that, that could be ranked that high. I, I think that... Florida is not going to be as good as, as people initially thought and I just have I, I worry because like the expectations like we said are at an all-time high but if they lose something early like I mean if Florida Florida loses to AM and somehow loses to LSU back-to-back if they start out that, that first five games of the season 3 and 2 and then have to play Georgia they, that is not going to be good.
0: One thing and then I'll 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 save the rest of our Florida talk for when we do the yep. SEC East Crystal Ball. Later in the week, one thing to remember: they start off eight of their in their first eight games. I'm going to get this right. They have six new offensive coordinators that they're facing.
1: Oh my god! eight Games. I take back everything I said. I take back. Florida's going to go undefeated. I didn't. Are you serious? How many defensive coordinators?
0: New defensive coordinators. Not as I think it's like four or something. Ole Miss is
1: one. I don't... South Carolina's not, so that's... And then LSU, sets so two. Mizzou is three.
0: LSU doesn't count in that. LSU doesn't even count in that regard, because Steve Ensminger's offensive coordinator. Joe Brady no, was the offensive deep, coordinator. Defensive coordinator. Oh, you're deep talking coordinator. defensive
1: coordinator. Gotcha. Yeah, and it does count, Connor. Um, <laughs> then, it's, then it'd be seven <laughs> of eight, not six of eight. <laughs> so, three... Yeah, so, okay, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. I'll take back everything I just said about Florida. Preview <laughs> for next week. But if you look at... for Defensive coordinators, which, which is where I think it matters most, because, you know what, and let me just talk myself directly out of what I said and then talk myself into something new here but like Dan Mullen is a, is a great coach and he will be able to like the same way what I said with the talent when, when there are when when he is against a coach that is equal or better than him I I would not take Dan Mullen I just absolutely would not take Dan Mullen when it's someone that is not as good of a coach as him I sure I would take Dan Mullen all day so when you have new defensive coordinators Ole Miss um, LSU, Mizzou. Wait, Mizzou. Did Mizzou keep theirs.
0: Kept their defensive coordinator.
1: Okay, so two. Um, Arkansas is three. I don't know anything about Vandy.
0: Vandy has new new coordinators, both both offense and defense. Todd Fitch on offense, and then they got rid. Derek Mason got rid of. Uh, his guy, I don't know why I'm blanking on the name of the
1: Defensive Coordinator at Vandy right now, but yes, they have a the new... defensive coordinator at Vandy. Yeah. So yeah. Um so for the first eight uh, yeah, I mean maybe this is for this year. I don't know. Well, what a way to set up our East Crystal Ball <laughs> that is. Um
0: I think that we're going to find ourselves second guessing a lot this year. Oh we yeah. Will. I That's, know myself. That's inevitable. But we're still going to put this out there. We're still going to be on the record for all of these picks. And feel free to actually fill out your own, like, do your own crystal balls, too, because sometimes you'll get offended about a certain record or something like that, and then you'll actually go through the schedule, and you'll be like, okay, no. I kind of see where I fall on this. I didn't even realize I was this high or this low on a specific team. It it changes your perspective.
1: It really does. I I will also say, too, because we we have already gotten so many messages uh, on social media, like on Facebook, and it's like, nope don't think so and that's all it'll say love that. and so um you know my response is like should we change it should we take it down man so out of all the years like there will be a lot of indecision for sure but out of all the years where i would apologize and admit that i was wrong guys strap in because 2020 is not going to be <laughs> one of them all right i mean like there are so many built-in excuses that i'm i'm cannot wait to use um yeah i mean i i probably was wrong about florida already i thought i was gonna get married twice this year so it's like you know we we win some we lose some so there you go
0: before we get to our interview with cole Kublik, the good news this weekend we have a full slate of sec football coming up not sec football power You're five football colorful, yeah that was mean i'm sorry we'll, we'll get we'll bleep yeah, we'll, that part so out with you. yeah that was that was rude we have a full slate of Power 5 football with the Big 12, essentially having Cupcake Week or some variants. of yeah. do know Clemson's facing Wake Forest, whatever. I don't want to hear that about that. That is a cupcake, yeah. Yeah, I know, that's... I know. But we do have football to watch. We have food to eat. If you don't have a full bottle of Texas Pete in your fridge, oh I don't, don't even know God. what you're doing.
1: Allie is so frustrated with me because... So we're working on budgeting, not just with money, but also with our calories. And there is a, um, there's a new thing. We have like a, a whiteboard of like this calendar for the month or whatever. We had to start making a separate side note on the bottom of it, of how many Texas peat bottles we have. Because every time we go to the store and we're gonna grill out, I get more Texas peat. And she's like, Chris, we have five bottles of that. That's an accurate count. You five! Have you have a problem. Yes, um, but it's a good problem to have. And I hope you guys have the same problem this year, because it's not a problem, Connor. Okay, it's hurricane
0: so. season. you got to have all your Texas Pete.
1: Is it hurricane season? It is hurricane season, yeah. Is that a metaphor for that Tulsa game? you trying to tell me who to bet on? I don't joke about natural disasters, man. You know this. Okay. Well, I mean, Twister was a fantastic movie. I'll say that. <laughs> um, regardless of what natural disaster you are, are facing this season, that sounds awful. Yeah. Uh, go get yourself some Texas Pete. Texas Pete. Sauce like you mean it, guys. We said this last year, and what we want to start doing again, I had so much fun with this, because... Uh, it, admittedly, I am so boring when it comes to eating. Connor, I know you are too because it's just like, you know what? I like what I like. I'm going to just douse all the chicken in Texas Pete uh, and, and just go from there. All my eggs, same way. If you want some fun recipes for tailgating, home gating, whatever you want to call it this year, go to TexasPeat.com. They have tons of recipes. I think we still have some of the, the videos from the recipes we did last year uh, on the SDS site as well. Check those out. Um, And then send us pictures of your own recipes and what you did on the grill this weekend involving Texas Pete. Uh, Not just Texas Pete. Texas Pete Wing. I cannot tell you how great that Texas Pete Wing sauce is. It is unreal. And also, Texas Pete dust. Texas Pete dust. So, go get yourself a bottle or eight um, or five like I did and, uh, and sauce like you mean it, guys.
0: It's great to be able to catch up with Cole, someone who has been fully entrenched in this college football season, even this high school football season, doing a little bit of high school football announcing
1: on the side. Did you see the picture of him and Chris Cotter? I didn't see that, no. (laughs) It it, it cracked me up for some reason because it looked so funny because he was like three rows further down and one like and like five seats over than him it, it looks like a, like a weird album yeah it was it was very very mature and responsible it did look like a like a high school high school ska album i'll say that <laughs>
0: cole is making the best of all these atypical circumstances this year we know that he is going to be all over the place In the SEC as well, once that gets rolling, it's great to be able to talk about offensive lines and Auburn and who he has winning the East. He also shared that, by the way, as well. So stay for that. Here is our interview with Cole Kubelik. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Cole Kubelik. Cole you've been so busy to start off this college football season before the SEC gets rolling. Like you were calling an Alabama high school football game on ESPN a couple weeks ago. You're on the sidelines for Arkansas state Memphis over the weekend. You've got the Iowa state opener this weekend too. I don't have a question to start. I just want to start off by saying after the off season that's been, I have never been more happy to see you all over my television. (laughs) Wow. I appreciate that. It's
2: been a lot of fun. Um, it was down in South Alabama two weeks ago uh, for a Friday night, Spanish Fort, St. Paul, high school football game, and man, it was it, it was unbelievable. They actually had a pretty decent crowd, and uh, Chris Cotter and I were on the call for that game, and we were socially distanced in the booth, and it was kind of like probably second, maybe third series, you just have that realization that, man, I'm I'm in a stadium calling a football game, and... There's there's no COVID, there's no election, there's no murder hornets. It's like we're just we're talking about football here. And you're able to just escape for three hours. It was it was needed, it was welcome, it was fun, and then obviously being able to go over and, and cover Memphis this weekend, a team I think is gonna be pretty good this year, Coach Silverfield in his first game and uh, I know Blake Anderson at Arkansas State, known that program for a while, so uh, be on the field actually for the first time this year uh, was pretty cool. Uh, so it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm glad to be back in it. Looking forward to heading to Ames this weekend. I've never been there, and uh, I, I think a lot of that team in that program. So I'm, I'm just excited that football's back, and and we're on your television talking about it.
0: How's this whole deal been to start? Because you've been down on the sidelines and, and in the booth, and it just looks and feels different. You've got teams that are wearing masks and somewhat attempting to distance on the sidelines, and you've got mostly empty crowds. That'll be the case in these college games. I've been saying that sports essentially look like they're all being played after a long rain delay. Is that kind of what it feels like down there?
2: Yeah, a little bit, but I don't know. I mean, I think after a long rain delay, everybody's kind of over it, and they've lost interest. Uh, I, think, I think there's still a lot of interest in this. Um, it, the, the protocols are very strange. You know, I'm, I'm doing sideline hits with a mask on. Um, oh, you, you saw Allison Williams and, and Katie George and Chris Button with masks on, uh, all doing sideline hits over the weekend. So that part's going to be different. Liberty Bowl had just over 4,500 people. So it was actually kind of cool just to see a, a crowd, like some people in attendance. And they, they pumped in a little bit of crowd noise, but – it made it feel a little bit more real, even if it was only just a a few people that were there. Um, It's just, I I have, I kind of went into this season with the mindset that it's going to be different. Uh, There's probably going to be technical glitches and issues. Let's just be okay with that. Let's be ready to roll and move on to the next thing. Uh, Things are going to change over the course of the season. So uh, I don't know how much of a rhythm we'll ever really get into, because, uh, like, this weekend, you know, Big Golic and Tom, they're going to be at their homes calling this game. Uh, you know, Dan Orlovsky and Bob Weschusen were in studio when I, when I was on sideline for the Memphis game. I mean, I, I have to go in early uh, to be tested for COVID. So it's it's almost two full days of being quarantined in my hotel room before I call a game. Um, that's different because I'm used to, you know, Jordan and Tom and I going to eat, you know, going to hang out, going to work out, you know, Going to get coffee, whatever, and you know, watching football Saturday during the day together, and you know, now it's just it's, it's a lot of alone time. Uh, but it's it's just it's going to be different. It's going to be weird, and we'll adapt, we'll adjust. Bottom line is, we're we're, we're broadcasting football, and people are going to be able to watch it, and I think that's a real positive.
1: Kind of piggybacking off that, um, you know, I, I know that. Like the first game, especially the FCS game, how how much of a relief and how important was it to see football not only being played but played safely so far this season?
2: Yeah, it's it. I just I just think that it gives us it's a it's a big sense of relief. But I just I think it's a positive for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, financially, how it helps a lot of people. Um, you know, I think the mental health of the athletes uh, it it has to be critical for them. Uh, obviously, professionally for people like me and then people like you guys that, you know, everybody who covers college football, I think it's a great thing there as well that we're able to actually have these games and talk about. Them. I think when, when you are when you're threatened to have something taken away, I mean, you, I, I, I take this I, like I think about this in context with my children who are all under the age of six. But when I threaten to take something away from them or I do take something away from them, it's always a lot better when you get it back. Uh, if you if you diet for a long period of time, that pizza, that donut, that ice cream is going to taste 10 times better than it did the last time that you had it. So I- anytime that, that something is either missing or threatened to be gone or threatened to be taken away, I think when you end up getting it, when you actually have it, you actually see it, it's actually present. It just makes it that much better. And there were so many of us that we fell victim to the negativity on social media. Um, you know, some, I'm not going to say that there weren't actual facts that put things in doubt because there were. I mean, just listen to the context of a, a lot of these college commissioners and medical professionals that are working around college football. The head coaches, uh, the ADs, and, you know, they, they, they you know, verbally gave us warning signs that, hey, this might not happen. You need to be prepared for this to not happen. And then we, we saw things like an NCAA tournament be canceled. Of course, working XFL, the season got shut down. We didn't see spring football. There weren't spring games that we broadcast. So we saw things be taken away and we saw things that were absent and that were stripped from us that we enjoyed and wanted and and felt like we needed and kind of felt like we had to have. So I think now that, now that there's some football back, it doesn't mean you, you run down the list of scores from this weekend. There weren't a lot of competitive games, but a lot of people were watching them and a lot of people were excited about them. So uh, I think that's only going to continue to increase now with Big 12 ACC coming back, and then the SEC will be back. And I, I think it just shows you that this can be done. And I think it shows you – I think, too, you got to give a lot of credit to the players, to the coaches, to the staffs, because you know, these college football players are not bubbled. And the, the fact that these players have an understanding of what they need to do, have to do, what's going to have to take place for these games to, to, to go on, that, that's, a, that's a big credit to them because there are a lot of temptations around them that could ruin it. But I think they know it. I think they're aware of that. And because of the way they came back, because of some of that doubt that we talked about, that it probably has more meaning for them. And, and they've been able to go above and beyond in keeping things under control to be able to give us this football season as well.
0: It's a really good point. I think that it yeah. gets lost in the shuffle whenever we see, oh, this school had this outbreak here, and it's just college kids, or just they're all being reckless and they're not taking it seriously. But that is important context to keep in mind throughout this, this weird season. This weird atmosphere actually feels no, guys, like it's... It's the,
2: it's the administration's fault, guys, that, that kids are yep. going into bars and making out while they're drinking without masks on. <laughs> that's that, That's the fault of college presidents. Guys, I don't know if you knew that or not, but
0: it's totally their fault. This, uh, you know, this uh, this weird year where we're not going to be seeing bands and cheerleaders and all the pageantry that's usually associated with college football, I sort of feel like, in a way, it's teed up perfectly for Tom Hart. And I'm not just saying that because he's been calling Korean baseball the past the time. If you could, you know, you talked about before how things are going to be different with you, Tom and Jordan Rogers, as to how you guys prep and how you get ready for a specific game. How how are you going to be doing things a little bit differently in game, and and how is that whole dynamic going to be different with you guys?
2: Obviously, the dynamic will be different because we're we're not around each other for you know twenty four forty eight hours before a game, where I think we have just more more FaceTime, more personal interaction to talk about where we want to go with things, how we want to do things. And some of that conversation may actually end up coming out on our broadcasts, which could be good or bad. Um, yeah, I think the fact that we've been together three years before this is it will make things still extremely comfortable. Uh, it's still going to be fun. We're, 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 still, we're still going to keep it light, but there's still going to be a lot of football and we're still calling football games. So, we're not going to get away from talking about the X's and O's. We're not going to get away from telling stories about the players and the teams and the schemes and things of that nature, Uh, the coaching staff, obviously. But um, I think it does open up maybe a different realm of possibilities for us to, to have fun with one another, to discuss some different things. Uh, You know, Jordan living the Island life uh, that he's been living for the last (laughs) few months. And and obviously Tom living that KBO life, uh, waking up at two in the morning to call games. It's, it's uh, it, we will have plenty to discuss and, and I can imagine that them not being on site that they will most likely uh, refer to me and begin to treat me as their errand boy uh, that they want me to go around and, and try to discover things and find things and look at things on the field of play because they're not able to actually see them. So uh, the list of demands from those two directed at me, I, I'm just, I feel safe assuming that that will increase Week in, week out, if the situation stays where it is. Very good awareness
1: there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I think I take that for granted, too. The fact that you're going to be on site and they're not going to be. And, and that in itself is just going to be such a, such a different dynamic. And I, I'm sure that we're going to have, have different ways of kind of appreciating a broadcast as the season goes on. But if there's any team that can kind of make all of that work with all the moving pieces, it seems like it is definitely you guys. Your bread and butter, the offensive line. Let's talk a little bit about that because we sort of assume that Alabama and Georgia are going to be dominant up front despite the fact that both had some very, very big losses in that area. Pretend that I'm the dude in your mentions who just said, Cole, why are you so in love with Kentucky? They lost Lynn Bowden and now they're going to be irrelevant. What's your response to someone who comes at you with something like that?
2: So you are are a lot of dudes in my mentions. (laughs) Actually. Uh, Because... Uh, Twitter will tell you unless the, unless they have some sort of Kentucky related logo in their profile picture that uh, that there is no way Kentucky could ever be competitive in a game against a team like Auburn that that just that can't happen. Um, so I, I would start by telling you that physically, I I don't think I know Kentucky can match up with Auburn, um, and that's not just on the offensive side of the ball. That's on the defensive side of the ball. That's that's Joshua Pascal. It's Quinn Bohanna. Uh, it's, it's Jordan Wright, DeAndre Square, Boogie Watson. That that front seven, I think, can not only match up, but could be extremely problematic. You've got four new starters on this Auburn offensive line, and number one, we haven't seen this group play together. Number two, a lot of them haven't played at all, and so you're you, now you're dealing with an offensive line that, that hasn't played much football and just missed a spring practice, and I, I don't really know what to think about some of these fall practices. This is kind of a sidebar, but I've I figured that these would be pretty easy and that most of these coaches would sort of tiptoe into this fall camp. Uh, when we talked to Silverfield, and he's like, man, we, we leaned on him. Like we told him, we're going to beat you up, and we felt like we had to. Blake Anderson, same thing. Uh, we, we, he said, we, we went pretty hard in camp, and we felt like that was the only way for us to really get ready. And then you hear Ken Niamatololo and his strategy last night mm-hmm. uh, when they played uh, against BYU and, and Navy looked like the team that, that had not hit in practice. So I'm interested to see sort of what the mindset is and what the feel is and, and what some, a lot of these teams actually do. But this offensive line yeah, for Kentucky is going to be really good. Uh, I think Drake Jackson's the best center in the SEC. You throw in Kennard and Young, two tackles that have played a lot of football. Uh, Luke Fortner's played a lot of football for that Kentucky offensive line. And then I think weapons, and I think that's where most people might allow you to say, yeah, Kentucky's going to have a good D-line, or yeah, Kentucky's got a good O-line. But most people won't allow you to talk about them being legit in the skill position area. Maybe a guy, like Lynn Bowden last year. Okay, people give you that. Or maybe a guy on defense, like a Josh Allen two years ago. But I think when you look behind Terry Wilson, who, by the way, has starting experience in this league, has played meaningful football in this league, I think A.J. Rose is a, is a more than a serviceable downhill runner in this league. smoke Smokes got some juice. And Christopher Rodriguez, I, I think, is a game-breaker. I think he's somebody who can create explosive plays from anywhere on the field. Uh, I think Josh Ali is going to continue to come along as a wide receiver. So now you look at Eddie Grant having a big physical offensive line, a quarterback with experience, multiple weapons in the backfield. What does he throw at you? Does he, does he come at you with that sort of wishbone read option that they ran last year, the second half of last year after the bye week? Does he go more spread like he was, you know, two years ago with Terry Wilson? He's going to be able to have a, a run threat at quarterback, which I think is a huge positive. And then now he's going to be able to lean on you up front, and they're going to have weapons that they can move around and do different things with. So uh, an experienced secondary. And a coaching staff that has just found ways to put guys in position to be successful the last few years, and I, I think Brad White gets almost no credit for what he did with that defense last year. They were the number four pass defense in the nation, and some people mm-hmm. immediately turn to, "Yeah, we'll look at the style of offense that helps." Okay, they're still top five pass defense in the country. I, I don't, I don't care what your time of possession was each and every week. So. I think the ability to adapt, to adjust, something this coaching staff has been great at. They kept the majority of the staff together. Physically, they can match up. They have legit skill. They have experience at quarterback. And I think that those things right there are going to be as important to your recipe this year as anything else. The only other thing that I think is going to be as or more important, other than just overall talent, is going to be depth. I think you're going to need depth this year because you're, just, you're going to have guys – I think we're going to have more injuries. You're going to have guys that, whether it's contact tracing, which the fact that the NCAA hasn't addressed that is a bit of a joke in my mind, and you're going to have guys that just test positive. So you're going to have players that miss games. So, uh, and I've already talked to multiple coaches across this league and other leagues that are cross-training players. Do you have a guard who can play tackle? Do you have a tight end who can play fullback? Uh, mm. Can your receivers play all three positions? Do you have a nickel who can play corner and play some man? Do You have a defensive end who can bump back to linebacker and play off the ball. Do You have a DN who can bump down and play three technique and give you some reps at defensive end. You're going to need guys that have versatility because you're just going to have to find a way to make it work at certain points in time. And I think Kentucky's coaching staff has done that the last few years, and that should give them another advantage heading into this season.
0: I'm oh, super man. intrigued.
1: Go ahead. Go ahead, Marley. I was just going to say, I mean, just hearing someone say a tight end, being able to play fullback, somewhere less miles just smiling ear to ear. <laughs> so
2: so look at true. look at the Memphis so game. Memphis had a tight end, I think, catch like seven balls and go over 100 yards uh, this past weekend. Look what BYU is doing with some of their two tight end sets last night, stretching people out. Um, Iowa State, who I had this weekend that I've already been peeking at on film, they're going to run multiple tight end sets. I mean, it's. I think there's an understanding that there are advantages that that position can give you and I think a lot of coaches sort of look at it and see well now you know two tight end looks or a tight end who can flex and move around or if you get you put a guy on the field that's wearing a I I, I don't know let's say like 45 and he can play legit fullback he can play h-back he can put his hand in the dirt next to a tackle he can flex out like now what do you like what are you naming him as what are, you, what are you calling him as when the defense calls out the personnel grouping? So I think coaches are beginning to realize that we may call them tight ends, but they're going to they're, they're gonna look like tall fullbacks or they're going to look like oversized receivers. You know, I don't think they're all going to look like Keith Miller, so to speak, but they're going to they're gonna be guys that can do different things. And if you can confuse a defense from your personnel groupings perspective and get them to line up wrong or just put the wrong personnel on the field, that's, that's going to give you some big matchup advantages throughout the course of the year.
0: A&M is a team that might be a little bit limited in that just because they've already lost two tight ends to season-ending injuries in camp. They, of course, returned Jalen Widermeyer, But I'm very interested in, in that offensive line because I think that's going to dictate so much of what this team can do. Year three, Jimbo Fisher. and I know that they, they dealt with some injuries up front last year. But is this an offensive line that you look at with four starters back, if they can stay healthy, that you think maybe they can kind of be the driving force behind this team making that next step that, that a lot of people have been waiting for? Well, I'll,
2: I'll say this. If it is, then they are going to take that next step. And they, and they, mm-hmm. they will exceed expectations. Um, because they're just – and they've had some really good players the last few years. So you throw in an Eric McCoy, uh, you throw in any kid named Matthews, you know, uh, they, they've had good players along those offensive lines, but it's just kind of like the, the, the entirety of the group. All five haven't really been able to come together and, and be an overly physically dominant force week in, week out. It seems to have been lacking the last few years. Um, they're not super athletic. You know, Hawker's not a super athlete. I don't think Dan Moore's overly athletic. Carson Green is not overly athletic. Kenyon Green is. Uh, If McCollum goes at center, you know, he's a guy who's played a little bit, but they're just kind of grinders. And if if they can be a group that just has an understanding of, of what they are, what they need to be, don't bust a lot of assignments, get a hat on a hat, uh, you know, make sure their wherewithal is getting everybody where they need to be from a protection standpoint or understanding the looks they're getting against the run game. There's enough talent around them to be really good. And I think a lot of it, like you said, sort of it sort of starts at that tight end position. And Jimbo's going to use the tight end. It doesn't matter. Um, you, know, you look at last year, I mean, he, he thought Baylor Cup was going to be their breakout tight end last year. And then he's not able to go. And then, of course, it ends up being Weidermeyer. Uh, so they're going to find guys to use at that spot. But they have enough receivers. They're good enough at running back. And I think they're definitely good enough at quarterback to where if that group just holds their own, if they play like B-minus football, B-level football, then I think that a offense can be really good. Because uh, I think the other side of the ball, even though they lost their best corner, I think the other side of the ball has got some playmakers that are waiting to bust out. They're not necessarily household names yet, but have a chance to be this fall. But I think that's probably the deciding factor for this football team in general is the offensive mm-hmm. line because I think, I think Isaiah Spiller is really good. Do, do I think he is a, you know, a Darren McFadden, no Sean Marino type SEC back? No, I don't think he's that explosive. But, but he can be really good and he can definitely be good enough. And they got some guys behind him who I think can help plenty of receivers a quarterback that's a dual threat that you can draw up some stuff to utilize his legs that can keep a defense off balance I mean they should be really tough to defend but the offensive line seems to be the, the area at times that has sort of let them down the last few years if that group continues to come on and they play above their head then all of a sudden I do think A&M could again be one of those teams that we're talking about that exceeds expectations the problem is we all got really excited about A&M because we looked at the schedule. And right. it was legitimately one of these slow climbs. It's like, you know, do you want to go run hills on, you know, the super steep hill? Or would you rather you know run a longer hill that's, you know, a slower ascent? You know, we're all going to take the slower ascent. None of us want to go straight up. Well, there was a nice little ascent that, that A&M was looking at until, you know, October 17th against Auburn. But then they get South Carolina in a bye week, and then all Miss and Vandy, and they you know, they, they play the last two, and you're like, well, hell, if you could just split Bama and LSU, you might end up 11-1 and one looking at the playoffs. And now it's kind of like, oh, Bama week two, then Florida. Um, we've still got LSU, Auburn, and Tennessee on there. Like, it, it, it doesn't look the same anymore. Now all of a sudden you look at it and say, no, 7-3 looks pretty good against that deal, where double-digit wins looked very realistic before. So um, I, think, I think being competitive with – and holding up against Alabama is of the utmost importance for a and this year. And that's kind of been uh, a landmark before, and it just hadn't happened. Now, there's been other years where certain guys have taken over, and they've either won or they've been competitive. But I think physically holding up week two in that game is going to be critical because they, they really do have a chance to pull a lot of confidence from that. They could still allow them to have a really good year.
1: All right, let's talk about your, a team that's very near and dear to your heart, Cole. Um, also, just side note: if, if I had to choose between either one of those hills, it would just be neither of the hills. I, I just to throw that out there. Yeah, just flat, mm-hmm. flat, and then like well, a bristle. Some,
2: some people might take the steeper hill and just say, like, part of me wants to say, I'll take the steeper hill because I can get it over with. But that's true. Yeah, you know, like I would rather, I would rather just grind out like a forty-yard hill than you know have a what we would consider an easier I guess angle on a 200
0: yard hill like, let me just get it over with so that's
1: Easter.
0: that's buns of anarchy talking right
1: there yeah. Time. yeah we're gonna get to that a little bit later as well um, for sure so another unit uh, seems to be vastly underrated this year Auburn's receiving court um, Seth Williams a guy that I, I feel like is not getting near enough love um, around the SEC and probably around the, the, the country just because of how deep the receiver position is in the SEC how much of an impact do you think that the receivers at Auburn can have in year two of Bo Nix, and it will will it be something that can hopefully outweigh all of the new starters and turnover they had on the offensive line?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is one first and foremost that I think we had that tight end discussion, and I think whether you go A&M, whether you go Florida, you know, I, think, I think Georgia's going to have some tight end use this year. I, I mean, it's, it seems like a position that's, that's making a bit of a comeback, and If you listen to some of the things that Chad Morris talks about or some of the players talk about, there might actually be a tight end in use in this offense this year. But Hmm. the reality is, number one, I need to know what the offense is going to look like, how it's going to be managed, who's going to be managed, and who's going to run it. But Seth Williams has every bit of number one wide receiver inside of him. He needs to be healthy week in and week out. Durability is a bit of a concern for him. But we need to see that number one receiver every single week, not every few weeks, or not for one quarter of a game. Because uh, he can be that guy, absolutely. And I think the lack of consistency is the reason that he's not talked about with some of the other guys in this league that have been that guy. And then the bottom line, too, is Anthony Schwartz needs more touches. I mean, Anthony Definitely. Schwartz is a guy that when you go sit in a meeting with the Auburn coaching staff, they should be telling you, hey, we're going to force him eight, ten touches a game. Whether I mean, we, it, it might be Wildcat. We're direct snapping it to him. We know we're going to take two deep balls to him uh, per half. Uh, you know, he's going to touch it once per drive, whatever it is, screens, deep balls, wildcat, reverse, jet sweep. He's got to touch the ball, in my opinion, eight to ten times a game. And he wasn't that guy last year. There were and It's not his fault, but there were times that he disappeared. How can he be an impact guy if you're not making sure he touches the football? Uh, so I think those two, especially being opposite one another and being able to be utilized in different ways, can absolutely – offset each other and definitely help each other be productive. Um, there are some young guys that have sort of been waiting. There are some young guys that, that I think that coaching staff has sort of been waiting on. You know, We, we, we have a little bit of an idea of, of what some of the youngsters can do, but I do think it was a bit of a juggling act. It's kind of like, okay, Sal Canelo looks like a big red zone threat. We're going to use him. You know, Will Hastings is obviously a guy that knows how to get open. We're going to use him. And be it injury, be it those guys just sort of disappearing, there have been flashes of guys who could be productive, but just not necessarily consistency. And I don't, think, I don't think that's as much on those individuals as it kind of was with Seth Williams that I pointed to a little bit earlier. But you're going to need a number three. And I'm interested to see sort of who that guy is coming out of camp. But the first two that you have I think can be as productive as any other two in the league. Now, are they going to be drafted as high as you know the two kids at Alabama? No, probably not but they give you things that not a lot of other guys do. I mean, Seth Williams gives you a a big body physical guy with a giant catch radius that should be able to erase mistakes on a regular basis and just flat out be productive. You know, Schwartz we talked about with his speed and his playmaking ability should be someone who opens things up, not just for other receivers, but for the run game, for quarterback runs, for all, all kind of stuff based on what he's capable of doing. So, I think those two are going to have to be productive if this offense takes off because you've got to assist the offensive line early. And unless Tank Bigsby comes in and is the guy a tailback, I don't know if they have a, a true dynamic tailback right now. But we have seen Gus Malzahn do more with less at that position. So, like, I like D.J. Williams, but and I like Sean Shivers, but I don't think those guys are, are 25, 30 carry-a-game backs. So who's going to be the guy that they end up riding for the course of the season? I think that would probably be the next big question
1: after offensive line, and after number, after number three
2: wide receiver.
1: All right, so I have admittedly not been a believer this offseason in this Auburn defense just being able to reload and be right back where they were a season ago, um, at least from a statistical standpoint, going into 2020. Tell me why I'm wrong. Tell me why I should be a believer.
2: Well, they're, they're, they're not going to be what they were last year.
1: Um, I I can't convince
2: you of that. I I can't even pretend that that's going to be real, uh, because you you lose legitimately a generational player in Derek Brown.
1: There it is. Um,
2: a, a, a guy who you you couldn't single him up was still disruptive when he was doubled, and, and also moved around a lot. I mean, a lot of people don't don't really talk about that with Derrick Brown, but you know he lined up over center. He played some nose. He played three technique. He went out and played five a little bit. So he was somebody who lined up all over the place. And I think his versatility allowed Marlon to be more of an edge player and use his physicality out there, uh which gave them some mismatches also. Um you know those those two guys being gone, being gone you don't have two other guys like that. And and now you have a guy who you thought maybe could come in and and sort of be that guy or be one of those guys or be similar to those guys who's opted out. And I think, that you know, in in Connus Miller. So I think the the depth on that defensive line has taken massive hits. Um, It's time for Big Cat Bryant, uh, Derek Hall, and TD Moultrie to to really come on. And I think all three of those guys have the ability to do it. All three of those guys can be elite edge defenders, but we just hadn't seen it yet. And some of that might be opportunity based on other guys that we mentioned making plays based on uh, you know, how things were aligned for them to get favorable matchups. But I think Auburn can still be pretty good off the edge, and I think the linebacking core can be phenomenal, um, just with Owen Popo and K.J. Britt. And, and you lose a little bit of depth there um, with Chandler Wooten opting out, a guy who Travis Williams loves and was going to play a ton. Um, and then you, I, I, here's the thing that – like, we can talk about all those D linemen, but it's amazing to me how, how Auburn fans completely dismiss Jeremiah Denson Daniel Thomas, Mm -hmm. Javaris Davis. Um, Guys who may not have come off the board in the first round but played a ton of quality football in an Auburn Tiger uniform. And I think that experience on the back end is going to hurt. And it's not that I don't think Smoke Monday can be a playmaker. I think Christian Tutt has a breakout year. His versatility will be extremely valuable. Uh, We've seen Sherwood make some plays. But just the wherewithal, the understanding, the know-how, I've had conversations with Kevin Steele about how many of those guys would show a different look in a game and then get back to the original coverage call or make a coverage change on their own and understanding a different look that they saw that maybe they didn't talk about in practice. That's all gone. And while I think you're going to have a ton of that leadership at the linebacker position, I don't know how much of it you're going to have in the secondary with those guys that left. And I didn't even mention a first round pick in Noah Iggnogany. So, I, I have all the faith in the world in Kevin Steele. I think he's one of the best D coordinators in college football. But I just don't know if he has the ammunition that he had last year. You're, you're not playing with the same weapons. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're going to battle with a different arsenal. And, therefore, I just, I just don't know if it can be the same. Um, you know, the thing that you look at there is you say, okay, well, look at the great offense. I mean, first off, they, they played maybe the best offense we've ever seen last year. Uh, they played a great Alabama offense. Uh, you played a great Oregon offense. Okay, so so who are you – know, maybe if you're looking for something that would allow things to be somewhat similar, you you, just, you go down the list of who are going to be the, the elite offenses that they played this year. Subtract Alabama. Uh, we don't know what Mississippi State's going to look like. They might be great. They might not. I mean, I don't think Tennessee's going to be overly dynamic on offense. Ole Miss, I think, is a coin flip right now. Could be. has Has the talent to be. We all think LSU's taking a step back. I don't think South Carolina's dynamic on offense this year. They've lost playmakers the last few years. Arkansas won't be. We don't know what Georgia's going to be. And even if Kentucky's really good on offense, I don't think we look at them as a 550-yard-a-game, you know, you know, putting up 42 points-a-game type offense. So the thing that may help this defense the most, even though the schedule is tough, the schedule is brutal, is they're not going to play near the overall group of offenses that they
0: played last year.
2: And and that may allow them statistically to be close to what they were.
0: That's a good point. It's a very very fair point. Marlar, do we have a two minute drill, or should we just take Cole out on one last important take question?
1: We should take him out on one last important take question because i, okay. I he's a busy man, and I, I don't want to be up here, um, you know, getting flustered. Because I mean, I always I always get flustered on you, Cole. You're just so damn smart.
0: <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, we'll take you out on this last question here, and you might have already answered it with the Kentucky thing, but if there's a non Kentucky answer to this question, I'd be very interested. What is your best I'm I'm leading the bandwagon SEC take for twenty twenty?
2: Uh, I, I mean I think Kentucky's gonna have a good year. I think the schedule's too much for them to realistically compete in the East. Mm-hmm. Um I mean I I got Florida winning the East. Can I just ride that one? Because I think even That's with good. Jamie Newman opting yeah. out, people still think that that Georgia's going to be great and Georgia's just going to win the East and Dan Mullen, that for some reason, in. can't get it done or whatever the, the reasons are. Um, you know, I, I think Florida I think Florida wins the East. I think Kyle Trask a good fit for the weapons they have around him, experience on the offensive line, even though they weren't dominant last year. Uh, I think Mohamed Diabate is going to be the breakout player in the league. I think he'll be a household name by the end of this season. I think they still have guys – up front, like a TD Slayton, uh, a Kyrie Campbell who can be who can be enough there. Uh, the losses in the backfield, I don't think you are going to hurt them that much. You got an Emory Jones you can mix in at quarterback if you need. Quarterback depth is going to be big this year. Um, you got the best tight end in college football in Kyle Pitts. Uh, all your guys that you thought were opting out decided to come back. Kadarius Tony, who's the ultimate Swiss Army knife, Jacob Copeland's going to be back. Uh, you got Grimes, who's coming back, a big physical red zone receiver. Uh, And you get Zachary Carter back, who you're going to need a little bit of an edge presence. But I just, I believe also that style of defense is going to be beneficial for Florida this year. Uh, Mm -hmm. Whether teams just physically aren't ready, mentally, emotionally aren't ready, um, you know, play a little bit slower than they normally would. I think that attacking style defense gives you some big advantages. So for me, uh, I got Florida winning the East. That's
0: a worthy. That's a worthy take at this point. We'll get back to you once the season starts. To give you an actual, you know, full-on SEC championship prediction. All of that stuff. Cole, appreciate the time today. Know that you are really, really busy. Looking forward to seeing uh, seeing you on probably a billion games this year. Um, but great stuff so. as always. And I'm sure we'll, we'll talk again soon.
2: Absolutely, guys. I appreciate you having me, and uh, look forward to catching up next
0: time. Appreciate it. Talk soon.